Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we catch up with Derek Taylor, our nightly check-in from Bomber Training Camp. And training camp is actually underway now. There's a new CBA, so that's great. And we're going to hear Kelly Moore's conversation as well with the top trainer from the past two seasons at Assiniboine Downs, Jerry Gorno, as their season is just around the corner. That's coming up on the podcast. The return of official training camp practices, the Blue Bombers, after a four-day delay, about an hour after I talked to Derek Taylor last night, there was a deal done, and today kind of a return to normal as we welcome in the voice of the Bombers, Derek Taylor. Well, here we are. Good news to finally talk about, Derek. And maybe the best part, and I joked with a couple of guys today, we don't have to talk about that kind of stuff for seven more years. Hallelujah. Oh, man, that's 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 a good amount of time. Maybe I'll be ready again in seven years. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but it's good to have this uh, out of the way so that we can focus on football now. And so what was it like being there at uh, training camp today? And was it different at all from their kind of informal walkthroughs they had been doing the last few days? Yeah, so they had a few days of get-togethers, and you could just tell the difference in this one. One, uh, you know, they're all in their fresh uniforms, which are bright blue and and bright yellow and color, and you know, the brightest colors you could have. Two, the pace was different, and three, just watching watching the guys interact with Coach O'Shea. Like he, Bomber fans know how much they love Coach O'Shea. It just it changed everything about it. Jamarcus Hardrick was was doing everything himself, but you you had the real uh, rivalry aspects. When you got into certain drills, like twelve on twelves and stuff like that, it it felt different. It felt better. It felt normal. So that was that was a great thing for Thursday's practice. And we heard from Adam Big Hill, Nick Dembski, and Mike O'Shea earlier in the show. We'll play the Zach Kolaris clips later on in the program. But did you get a sense of relief? We we heard the clips, but did you did you feel the sense of relief in talking to the players and and seeing them on the field today? Oh, especially in talking to to Dembski, and as you said, you heard it earlier. Like Dembski was just overjoyed to be out there practicing because he talked a little bit about you know you do get anxious in those four days, right? Where we weren't sure what was going to happen, was it going? Then eventually we knew it was going to happen, but for a while you're just treading water and hanging out in the dorms and. You know, just you know, you just don't know how much am I going to to work this year. So there is that that real sense of of relief from all those guys. So yeah, you got a little bit of that. Some of them played a little close to the vest, right? Uh, at Big Hill, I, I suspect is very excited to not be spending three months oh, yeah. thinking about. Uh, uh, my dad was a labor relations advisor when I was young, so when I was like nine, it was the most fascinating thing in the world. Now, when you just want to go crush somebody in year number 10, it's got to be excruciating on some level. Absolutely. And so now we we get into the the bones of it as the training camp process gets underway a little bit late. I I think a big story for until today, maybe, was going to be what happens with Calgary and Edmonton. Are they going to strike instead? They never actually do. And so they actually have four days of a head start on everyone else in the CFL. I know that players have been fairly diplomatic about that so far. Do you feel that being a a competitive advantage for those two teams, or is it still, you know, a month away from the season starting, it's not going to matter? I honestly don't think it will matter much, but there's what the players told us when the microphone was on and what the players tell us behind the scenes and behind the scenes. They're not happy with it, right? They don't love the thought. These guys are competitive, and these are two teams in their division that, that they're going to compete with. 
Edmonton, I don't know how good they're going to be, you know, but that's that's for another day. But they're they're not happy to to have a you know another team with a four day head start. Let's not kid ourselves. They they wanted to be out there with them, and any advantage that they get is you know takes something away from us. So you know, there's nothing you can do to go back and change it because provincial labor laws are provincial labor laws. But yeah, though they say, oh yeah, no, I don't think about it. They thought about it. It's natural, of course. To, to think yeah, to about, think it, about because it because it's, it's a situation where there's a potential competitive imbalance. But I, I agree. I don't think it, by the time that they actually do play, I'm not sure there's going to be a much of a difference. But we do know that the, the delay in training camp means that the first preseason game for the Bombers is now their second preseason game. They were going to play on Monday. Uh, in Regina, they'll now play Tuesday the 31st in Saskatchewan. This makes sense, right? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. If you don't want to play on short notice, and it would have been, you know, three full days of practice, then a walkthrough day, and then the game, uh, then this is this is actually, I think this is well done by the CFL. Uh, we asked Coach O'Shea today, hey, any problems? He's like, no, it's the same amount of rest that we would have had from Monday to Friday that we get from Friday till Tuesday. So ultimately... The first one's at home. The second one's on the road. No big deal. Uh, it would have been a big deal had they not gotten that second preseason game in because there's a certain group of players that will play the away game but not the home game, and there's certain players who will play both games that you're really trying to get a look at you know, and want to, you know, do we keep a fourth quarterback? Well, you know, that's that away preseason game is going to give us the answer to that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's great, and and honestly, I like the way the CFL did. Is there's there's some stuff in here I have problems with, but getting the getting the Bombers and the Riders that second exhibition game that's a that's a solid move on their part. Well, and let's face it, the there's always a difference between who you play at home and who you play on the road, and maybe having the the home game second would have been nicer because that's generally when more starters are going to play, but not every team gets to play their first game at home, right? So across the CFL, some teams have to weigh which is which. Yeah, exactly. I remember talking to a player a, a few years ago, and he played with the Calgary Stampeders, and they were, you know, it was that year where I think their last couple games were meaningless, and then they had the bye, and then they played in the, in the West Final. And I said, do you, you like this? You like the thought of no actual good football games for a month? He's like, you know what? Honestly, I just convince myself whatever we get is good because there's nothing you can do to change it, right? There's, there's nothing. Had they had to play on Monday, you know, uh, uh, Dakota Prukop would have been like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go, tear it up with the with these guys. It's it is what it is, and you know, you can you can rue it, but no one's going to point back to the preseason and games three days apart, and yeah, which one was which. Ah, we'll we'll just love that we have our football back. So what are you going to be looking out for at uh, training camp tomorrow? Well, it'll be more of basically today was the first day was who's who are the new spots, right? Who are the guys who will replace uh, guys who have moved on in free agency or or just gone on to other teams, right? Who's going to f- replace Darvin Adams and Steven Richardson and Drew Desjardins and on and, and oh, who are the two the two new guys? That'll be in the defensive backfield. So we got a little bit of an inkling today on that one. I think everybody expected that Jeff Gray was going to go in at left guard, and that's exactly what happened today. Uh, the the who's going to be the new Darvin Adams, that short side wide receiver, uh, was really interesting because it was Janarian Grant, and that's actually not a move I, I actually expected. I thought it would be one of the more 
six foot three, six foot six, uh, you know, wide receivers playing that X position. But there was Janarian Grant with the first team offense. I thought that was super cool. Uh, Casey Sales, a natural to go in for Steven Richardson. And then they uh, they went and got a veteran like Taekwon Glass. Boom, there he was at that field corner on day number one. You go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's it's veterans and elite players across the back. That's a, that's a real nice free agency pickup. Mercy Maston at the Sam linebacker spot. You look at it and go, okay, yep, I can I can get with all this. This is this is good. You then see, well, who's with the second team, who's with the third team, and on and on, and and just watch how that evolves over time because uh, there there are ones where you go, hmm, I might have that guy in a different spot, but that's that's what we get to do as fans, right? Is go, I might do that differently than the guy who's won two straight Grey Cups. Of course, and on the topic of Maston, right, he was not a part of the team last year because he suffered an Achilles injury that ended his season in training camp. What boost does he give if he's healthy and back in the lineup this year? That's a tough spot to play, right, that Sam linebacker spot. Uh, there's, I mean, there's less field to cover this year, but let's not kid ourselves. That's still a lot of field, and then every once in a while, you got to go up and stick your nose in, in, in stopping the run because, you know, to some degree, some people will term you a linebacker, so you have to make thirty percent of your tackles in in the run game as well. But those are those are hard spots, and that's that's where the change is coming, right? Uh, Nichols is back. Winston Rose, no problem. You plop him back in at that boundary corner. That's where he was for the Grey Cup. Uh, Nick Hallett in at safety. Okay, that's nice till Brandon Alexander gets back. But then there's the changes. Nick Taylor obviously returns at that field half side, but then. The, there's a, there's the new guys. So uh, to have Maston, the guy who has worked under Richie Hall and knows what's going on, and you can hear him in practice talking to teammates, and when they move over to the one side or the other, you can hear the communication really good, and that's that's exactly what you need because that I mean that defense last year was I don't know the best one we've seen in how I don't know whose lifetime like there's there's somebody's yeah, lifetime yeah. that that's the best defense we've seen. I think part of it was that offense was just down generally in 2021. But uh, before I let you go, I want to talk about Grant going on offense as well. So this caught you by surprise, you said. Uh, what about it do you think might uh, might work for the Bombers? And is this, is this just a matter of training camp tinkering? Or, and do you think this was part of the conversation when they re-signed Grant to say, hey, we're actually going to get you more involved in offense now? Yeah, it, it it probably it requires a little bit of a change, right? Because I mean, if you know from watching him, Janarian Grant and Darvin Adams are not the same body. They're not the same receiver at all. Darvin Adams was consistently one of the deepest targeted receivers in the Canadian Football League. Grant is a guy you could do a lot of stuff with. So I wonder if, and we'll get a chance to talk to him during training camp. But I wonder if Buck Pierce looks at what BC did with Lucky Whitehead last season and goes, oh, you know who might be able to do some of that Lucky Whitehead stuff? It would be a little Janarian Grant. But it, it, when I sat down to think of it, I thought, okay, Coach O'Shea seems to love uh, – seems to love his guys and guys who have been around for a while and grant you know grant's had a full season with the with the bombers thus far so uh as opposed to a guy who wasn't with them and didn't play games for them last season but grant's a guy you know is going to be on the roster he's almost certainly going to be valuable in the return game again so hey if he can do some stuff and you know, on offense and be the guy who comes off when they go to a tight end formation let's let's see how this works because we know we're taking him with us for all 18 games well, it must feel good to be uh, to be back covering real practices again for you. 
it's it's really it's really good. It's it's fun to see. It's fun to hear coaches uh, teaching, and you learn terms that they're throwing around. Uh, it's it's just great to watch. You know, these guys get to do their things, and because every once in a while, you go, oh yeah, these are elite pro athletes as they leap four feet in the air and one hand a ball down on the goal line. You go, okay, that's that's why I came. I came to see some of that. The 65th season of Thoroughbred Racing at a set of boy downs. It's technically less than two weeks away when it starts with opening night, May 31st. But earlier today at the Downs annual season launch, our Kelly Morse spoke with the top trainer from the last two seasons at the Downs, Jerry Gourneau. And the conversation began with Kelly asking Jerry, but whether he goes into the season with a target on his back. Am I right in saying that? In as much as there's the camaraderie, uh, there is the fraternity in thoroughbred racing. But when you've won, everybody does want to knock you off the perch out of the saddle, don't they? Yes, that's correct. Um, you look at it overall, we're all competitive. No matter what we do in life, we're competitive. And even the, the, the craziest thing about it, all of it is when you're talking about sports, and this is a sporting event, we're even more competitive than anything else in life. We want to be the champion, we want to be the winner, and we want to be on top of our game. So we continue on doing the things that we need to do in order to be number one. We, we do things that most people would not even think about doing to be number one. We're up at 4.30 in the morning. We're galloping horses, turning around, cleaning stalls, grooming the horses, getting them all ready. By midday, 1, 2 o'clock, you're dead on your feet. You take a little 15-minute, half-an-hour nap, you're back at it again. So you better have the love for this game in order to be on top of it. So to be a successful trainer, what's the order that it works in, Jerry? Is it the horse? Is it the jockey? Is it the people? You've just talked about the work ethic. Maybe that's the one that should go to the top of the list. Well, to be number one, it is the work ethic. But it's also to surround, your pe surround yourself with good people. That's what I do right now. I got good people in my barn. Uh, my assistant trainer is Jennifer Toronto. And, and, and I got to even go back a little bit to say you got to have a really good owner that allows you to do your job and get it done right. My main owner is Henry Witt Jr., who is out of Waco, Texas. And he knows about competition because he's in the National Hall of Fame of car racing in Texas. He was the number one guy, and they try to knock him off the perch all the time. So he knows what's happening. And he's been the number one guy here as far as bringing in horses and the money earned and being number one. So it goes hand in hand with the idea you got the number one owner, you got the number one trainer, and you got a really good staff. Most of my staff are First Nations people. I, I pride myself in doing that. Some of them are not, but they work right into it hand in hand. And we all do everything together. I'm not one of those trainers that well, I'm, I'm, I'm going into the kitchen to drink some coffee or play some cards or anything like that. No, if you're in there doing a stall, if you're in there cleaning a water bucket, if you're in there doing the work that I ask you to do, I'm going to be right side of you, right next to you, getting it done, doing the things that you are doing. So it is the idea that we have that good camaraderie, the good work ethic of all of us. I'm glad you brought up the First Nations component, Jerry, because uh, earlier in the afternoon here at Assiniboia Downs, uh, the Chief Executive Officer, Darren Dunn, brought up uh, the winning record uh, for uh, trainers 
the last seven years, I think seven out of the last eight, yeah. uh, the, the top trainer has been First Nations Indigenous. Uh, the success here at the track is dominated uh, by Indigenous First Nations people. How proud does that make you? We have always strived to do the best, and we are a prideful people. You know, a lot of people don't think that we are, but we are, because we try and do the best possible job for everyone and to make sure that all of our people are proud. The other trainer that they were talking about is Tom Gardapi Jr. Him and I talk quite a bit, uh, articles that they write about. I always include Tom in every uh, conversation that I have because it's not only the idea that it's First Nations, but he is my number one competitor. We could talk, we could BS a little bit or whatever, but when push comes to shove, we're about winning. We're about being number one. And, and when the other guy wins, we ain't, you know, like saying, ah, he won, no, uh, hey, nice job, good job, keep it up. And that's what we do, you know, rather than, you know, trying to say, oh, no, he's got this or got. No, 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 no. It's all about the idea that we try and do the best possible job for everything. And, and you know, when I, when I say he's got this, he's got that, he's got a better owner, he's got a better, better system or so on and so forth, that's what I'm talking about yeah. because we do those things. We strive to do the best possible job that we do. And, you know, in, uh, in being actively involved as a First Nations person, I know we do a lot of ceremonies. We connect ourselves with the spirituality of the horse, the spirit connection of the horse. That's a little thing that we probably do different in my barn. We talk about it, we do it, we get it done. Because it's not, at the end of the day, it's not the idea that I want to take advantage of you as being the horse. I want to connect with your spirit. I want to make sure that you know what it's all about, that I'm not just here to turn around and say, hey, I'm going to run you just to make money or do this, and so on and so forth. We talk about money, but the animal always comes first, and he always have has in my barn. The, the horses, we work together with the idea that we want to do best when it comes down to time for him or her to be competitive on the racetrack. As we mentioned, the 2022 season, the start of it, is not that far away from here at uh, Cinnaboya Downs. And, and you were just talking about the spiritual connection with a horse. So I, this segues nicely into a, something I was wondering about. The last couple of years, there were either no uh, patrons in the stands or very few because of the restrictions. This year, it's restriction-free. Did you notice a difference in the behavior or in the performance of your horses with no or few fans in the stands compared to before when the stands were full and there was the roar of the crowd? You know, uh, some of the uh, trainers on a national level, they talk about the idea of the horses know when people are there. Uh, that that story about Secretariat, mm -hmm. you know, he loved this picture to be taken, and he loved the crowds, and he'd beef up and be happy, and that was his way of his spirit, spirit connecting with the individuals in the crowd. And last year, the year before, we didn't have too much, but you had those of us that could make it at the racetrack, and we had that connection, and we're yelling and screaming for them, just as the other crowds do, but not as loud. Right. But we had that connection, and they know, these horses know when they go to the wind circle. 
they know when they don't go to the wind circle because they pout a little bit, they're a little bit upset, well, I, I lost that race, you know, and they're just like us. They got feelings, they got thoughts, they got ideas, what they're going to do and how they're going to get it done. The only thing is, we're directing them in the direction that they're going, and they do what they need to do. Yeah. And so from that aspect, Jerry, how, how much are you and everybody out here at ASD looking forward to a year of normalcy? If this is what the new normalcy is now. We are looking for the idea that we're happy that the people can come out and support it. Because, you know, without the crowd, really, it, it, it's not as, as exciting as it was in the years past. You know, people screaming and yelling and, and helping it out. You know, I came from the state side, and they had these restrictions removed a long time ago. And Canada kept their restrictions in place. So I was kind of used to it with the idea, and then I come up here and I go, everything's silent. What's going on? You know, like, aren't they over this? You know, aren't they open up the doors and, and let people in and, and make decisions on their own? So, you know, that, that part right there was a little difficult. And now that they're coming back in, I appreciate it big time because people do come up to talk, talk to you. Uh, a little kid last year, first time at the races, I was upstairs at the buffet. And he kept on poking his dad in the ribs, in the ribs, and looking at me and pointing, pointing, pointing. Finally, his dad got up, walked over there, and he said, "My son is just. What do you want to say?" Uh, he said, "He just so prideful to see you doing what you're doing." And he was First Nations. Yeah. He said he's just so happy, and he kept on saying, "There's Jerry Gorno. There's Jerry Gorno. Let's go over there and see him. See him." And he said, "I knew you were eating. I didn't want to interrupt you." And I told him right out. Anytime you want to come up to me and talk to me, that's fine. I said, eating could come later. There's always time to eat no matter what. I said, but to have a young man like that, that has somebody to look up to, and you know, when I talk to the young man, I said, remember this, and I always, I live my life this, I am my own hero. You have to be your own hero because that's how you're going to make it in life. Don't look up to somebody else. Take their thoughts and ideas and make them your own. But be your own hero and go on with it. Be number one in your life, and you will be successful. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain your disrespect. 